Can we thank Jared and the band for leading us in worship this morning on this Easter Sunday? If you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to 1 Peter chapter 1. As you're turning there, our title for today is Hope is Alive. And I'm going to read 1 Peter 1 verses 3 through 9. And I would encourage you to look along with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now, for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though not seeing Him now, you believe in Him. And you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. Because you are receiving the goal of your faith, salvation of your souls. One more time, verse 3, which is where we start from today. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When we look around, we can see that the world seems pretty hopeless at times. It doesn't take Sunday morning church attendance for you to come to the realization that there's something kind of broken about the world and that there are people around us who are looking for hope, regardless of where they start, regardless of what has taken place to bring them to this point. There is a hopeless nature about our lives. We see it when we watch the news. We see it when we scroll through social media especially with those family members who like to keep posting those things over and over and over and over. We see it everywhere that we are in a hopeless situation. After our Good Friday service the other night, my my family and I, we had in-laws in town, and we went together to get pizza, and then we went home with our children and had ice cream together. I'm pro-ice cream, as you can tell. I'm a, a big supporter of ice cream. And as we're sitting there, the kids begin to do what kids always do when they are up past their bedtime. Our kids, for perspective, go to bed at 4.30 in the afternoon. They started to ask us if we could watch a movie. Well, the answer to that was no, because the sun was down. And they're like gremlins. Things happen when the sun goes down. Eventually, my wife said, I've got a show that I've recorded that we really want to watch. So I thought, okay, this is going to be great. We, and in my mind, as we're wrestling around with this, I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be like Charlie Brown Easter, something like that. Hope had recorded a show. Now, she's a nature lover. She loves animals, and she loves to see beautiful scenery. So this is her thing. She recorded a show called Hostile Planet. So here's how the show begins. It was episode one, and the opening scene is a snow leopard attacking this blue sheep and rolling down a mountain with its neck in its mouth. Like, happy Easter. Uh, 
The next scene, there were these barnacle geese that have laid eggs on this 400-foot pinnacle. And these barnacle geese, the, the babies, they have nothing to eat. They cannot fly. They won't be able to fly for another month. There is no food anywhere near them. It is a mile away. And the geese, for whatever goose principles there are, cannot feed their kids in the nest. I guess that's why I don't let my children eat in bed. So, so we anxiously watch as the father jumps off of the cliff to show the geese what to do next, these baby arctic geese. But they don't follow the father because they follow the mother. That's how it works, am I right? So the mother steps off the cliff and she swoops down. Well, the geese need to do this too, these little baby geese. The problem is, moms and dads can fly. The baby geese cannot. So their hope Their goal is to hit the rock in such a way that they roll to where the food happens to be. So every time one of these baby geese would jump, all that I'm thinking in my heart is I hope he makes it. I hope she gets where she needs to go. The grass is just a mile away. Hope, in that sense, has no certainty on the other side. Everyone watching as these baby geese jumped hoped in the sense that we wish they make it. We wish they would get to where they need to go with nothing certain in place. That's not the hope that we see Peter talking about here. The hope that we see Peter talking about is much different than the hope that we talk about when we have conversations about it. Now, be careful, my wife, her name is Hope, so I speak of her positively. But when we, as a culture, talk about hope, it's synonymous with wish. I hope I get a new car when I turn 16. I wish I would get a new car when I turn 16. It's this interchange, this consistent exchange of hope and wish, as if they are synonyms for one another. But in the Bible, it's actually not that. It's an assurance. It's something that we can rest in. It's something that we can trust. And what Peter says when he opens this passage up for us is, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope. Those who are born again into relationship with Jesus have a hope that is sure and a hope that is certain. So that's what we're seeing take place in this passage as we consider what it means for us to be people who are in right relationship with God. Anglican theologian N.T. Wright says this, Becoming a Christian means what God did for Jesus at Easter, He does for you in the very depth of your being. We have a living hope that has been given to us from the person of Jesus. It is something that we can rest in, something that we can trust in, something that we can believe in because of this hope. We can see that we have hope in the face of all of life's difficult situations and difficult circumstances. And this hope is for those who have come to faith with God in Jesus, those who have trusted in all that God has done for us. You actually see, as as Peter writes this letter, he's talking to church people from around the world, exiles. And what he means by exiles is they are people who have been displaced. They have been put in places that they were not originally from. And they have a home that they are longing for. 
And they're united by certain phrases. This phrase, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not something that Peter came up with or made up. It was a popular phrase at this point in history to, to echo and to say to those around you, we're united in this, in the same way that you cheer for your teams, right? If you are an Aggie in the room, you have a phrase that you say together all of the time. You want to do what? Gig them, whatever that means, like you're hunting frogs. If you're a longhorn in the room, you want to hook them. We hook them horns. If you are from Baylor, you sick them in the most Baptist way possible. If you went to Ole Miss, it's hotty toddy. If you are from Alabama, you say, how much do we need to pay you? We have all of these things that we say all of the time to all of the people that we cheer and chant for. Gross. I'm a Tennessee fan, so I, I say go Vols if I see a Tennessee hat. Here, I'm in a strange place, a unique place, a different place, but there's something that brings us together. What you see in this text is that. We are united in what God has done for us in Jesus. We are brought together by this hope that is alive. But for Peter, hope's not always been alive. Hope has not always seemed alive. Hope has been a struggle for him because of the sin in him and the sin in us. Hope is a struggle. We are Christian people who are born again, but we see that this hope that Jesus gives us gives us power over the, the penalty of sin. We have hope in the face of the penalty of sin. Verses 4 and 5, we have a hope that helps us to see that it is to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. There was a time for Peter when hope was dead and had come to an end. It was over, and when something is over, it's over. If you're unfamiliar with the story of Peter, the writer of this letter, he was a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, and there comes a point in his daily walk where he says to Jesus when questioned, Who am I? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This means that he has attached himself to the wagon of Jesus to see Jesus overcome the world. Now his understanding as to what overcoming the world was was pretty different. But he believed that Jesus would be able to do this. But when Jesus died, that hope comes to an end for him. And when something's over, we know it's over. If you've ever eaten a meal with little children in public, you know when that meal is over, it's over. It's time to go. It was over for Peter. But what we see with what's taken place, what he has experienced in Jesus, what he has seen in the literal, physical resurrection of Jesus, is that that hope which he thought was dead is now alive Again, the end is not the end. And this promise that God has made to him in the face of the penalty of sin is a hope that is imperishable. It cannot be destroyed. This speaks to what sin does because sin destroys. Sin destroys families. Sin destroys friends. Sin destroys relationships. Sin destroys everything. This hope that God has offered Peter in Jesus, this living hope is imperishable, which means, it's undefiled rather, which means that it is not polluted. The hope that we have in God given to us by Christ Jesus because he is alive forevermore, it is not polluted. We are united with God 
regardless of the sin in us that stains us, God has delivered us from that and made us white as snow. He has made us righteous because of Jesus. It is unfading. It is not subject to decay. Or as poet P. Diddy said in the early 2000s, ain't going nowhere. That is what we see taking place in this passage. These are important things for us to consider in the face of what sin is because sin... Though we like to think that it's something out there, it's in here. Every time we watch the news and say, I can't believe that someone would do that, that sin is in here. The sin that manifests in that way is in all of us. Every time we look at the world that we live in and we see how broken and and terrible it seems to be, that sin is manifesting, but it's in here. All of us are far from God, and God has offered us hope in Jesus. The first Earth Day flyer in 1970, speaking of recycling, said, We have met the enemy, and the enemy is us. How much more can we say that about each and every one of us? We are our own worst enemy. We can blame the devil and the kids next door and the neighbors all that we want, but the difference in them and us is not much because sin manifests itself. Well, what is our inheritance? That sounds like a really good thing. I would like to receive an inheritance. Well, we see that God gives it. God keeps it. Well, we see in scriptures as well that God who who started a good work in you, he's faithful to complete it. So God who has saved you, he's going to bring your salvation to its completion. He's not going to abandon you. He's the author, he's the perfecter of your faith is what the book of Hebrews tells us. But what is that inheritance? What is God promising me when I trust in Him in this world that is different, altogether different than what everyone else promises me? And that promise is this. The inheritance that we receive is that God, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, born again to this living hope, He loves you in the way that He loves Jesus. Jesus actually prayed for that in the Gospel of John. We read in 1 Corinthians that he became sin who knew no sin so that we may receive the righteousness of God. God in Jesus has offered us a living hope that completely deals with our sin in full, the penalty of sin. It also deals with the problem of suffering and suffering is real. Every one of us suffer, every one of us struggle. If you are not suffering right now, wait. It's coming. Verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what are trials in the Bible, in, in the New Testament, when we just do a word study there of trial? In Galatians, trials shows itself up as sickness. In the Gospel of Luke, it's physical persecution. In the book of Hebrews that we're walking through as a church that we've taken a brief moment away from this morning, it quotes a passage about people who are wandering in need of provision. Trial and joy, however, in the Bible are used in unison. You see that here. You rejoice in your trials. These two terms are in the present. You are simultaneously greeted... You are simultaneously greatly rejoicing and have great sorrow. That doesn't make sense. How can I understand that? Imagine that you have two sons or two daughters. And they are on different sports teams. Think this is us. And you've got this 
these two children, one of them plays for the red team, one of them plays for the blue team. We've pushed ourselves to the championship game. Both of these children of yours will play for the title. You're the mom on the field. You're the dad on the field. You've bought the jersey where you've knit together the blue and the red. You know what I'm talking about? You, you have half jersey for one, half jersey for the other. You are there to support your children, but you do know this at the end of the game. You will feel great joy tomorrow. What we see taking place in this passage is that, in a sense. We as people in this world who know the person of God in Jesus, we are dealing with the struggles and sufferings that come with being in a broken world. And because we are in this broken world, we have a joy that is promised to us, but it's also present in us. But there is sorrow there as well. Tim Keller, pastor in New York City, or he was, he just writes books now and says really smart things. He says this, The reason people struggle to have joy in circumstances is that for them, joy is a circumstance. We have placed all of our hope in the fact that we have a job that we love or we have placed all of our hope in the fact that our children are successful. We've placed so much hope in things that are fleeting and going away. What the writer here is saying to us is there is joy and there is hope for you simultaneously in this world. And the only way to understand that in the way that God would have you to understand that is because of the resurrection of Jesus that gives a living hope that is not bound by your circumstances. Sorrow in this life that is fading, perishable, and decaying should push us to joy. That is the experience of the Christian daily. William Blake said, Joy and woe are woven fine. The word for trial in this is the word tribulum or, or, or tribulation is kind of the word that we use if we want to talk about left behind novels. And this is a machine that separates husks from grain. What we're seeing is that in this life we are having the genuine article of our faith separated from the husks that are there. Peter, these trials were regularly and he failed regularly. Anyone ever feel like they fail God? Jesus, I will die for you. Really, Peter, you will deny me in three times. You will deny me three times at my death. And he did. In the garden, Peter loses his temper and chops off the ear of a soldier. And Jesus had to, in his last moments before death, had to roll his eyes at Peter because Peter's not been listening. You may be thinking, Chad, that's before the resurrection, after the resurrection. Wasn't he a hero of the Bible? He was, but he also made a mistake in the book of Acts. He had to struggle with his tendencies to push out the Gentiles. Thankfully, he was corrected or we would be in the most kind of trouble. Peter's hope and ours is that perfection does not come from us. The resurrection is a matter of Jesus perfecting us. We should crave something better. We should want something more. That's why we keep seeing homesick language through the text. That, that's what's literally being said when we use words like exiles, sojourners. You are longing for something more. Strangers, exiles, sojourners. If you've ever taken your kid on a trip away from their mom and dad for three to four days. There's a homesickness that they wrestle with. 
If you've ever been on a traveling, on a business deal where you're away for days, there's a homesickness that comes for you. It's there. And we see this longing for home in the heart of believers who have been born again to the living hope. C.S. Lewis, who wrote those Narnia movies, said this, If we find ourselves with a desire that, is nothing, that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And those who have been born again, you're literally in Jesus, born into another world. Finally, we see this, that this hope that we have, this living hope, gives us power over death. Verses 8 and 9, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In this world where death is prominent and obvious, we have a deliverer who moves us beyond it. 1 Corinthians, we, he echoes this when Paul says, Oh hell, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? And if you've ever been to a funeral or ever dealt with the loss of a loved one, you know that in this life that is right here. That we would lose people we would love. That our hearts would be broken even for those who we know will be with God forever. Because there's something that is broken about this world. There's something that death says is hopeless but Jesus. Jesus would offer us life in the face of that. Peter, walking through this text, we look at the things that he said and the things that he did, the struggles that he had. The person who writes to us that we should have living hope in the face of trials and circumstances and tribulations is one who was stumbling and stuttering the whole way. And I think that's hopeful for me and it's hopeful for you because I stumble and stutter a lot. And I would think that there are people in this room whose faith journey at some point you thought it's come to an end. You made a mistake. You did something wrong. You, you messed up. And God would say to you that the hope that I have is not based on what you've done but who I am. It stings us all. Peter, however, as he moved towards the end of his life, he would be crucified upside down. He would be crucified upside down is what history teaches us. Because he did not want to be crucified like Jesus who was his king. Because Peter's hope was alive. Look, I don't know where you are with Jesus or why you're there with him. But I do know that I cannot walk through this text without telling you salvation is mentioned three times here. And we have to think about salvation this morning. So if you're here and you're like, Hey, I showed up because I heard you were serving breakfast at 9.30. And, I don't, and, and all the restaurants are closed. Are you going to try to convert me? Huh? Maybe. Maybe. Yes. Look, there's a good chance that the reason that your friend or family member invited you was because they know that you're far from the Lord and they want you to hear this really great message of hope from First Peter that I've articulated quasi-well. They want you to know that Jesus offers you a hope that is real, that, is, that changes everything. It's mentioned three times here. When does salvation take place? Now, for some of us, salvation is one of those dramatic things, right? 
If you ever spent much time in the Scripture, you see in the, in the book of Acts, chapter 9, Paul has this dramatic transformation where he is on his way to kill Christians. He sees Jesus. He goes blind. He is dramatically and drastically converted. If you've ever heard a Paul-type story from someone you know, could you just raise your hand, right? We know those stories. They were hooked on drugs, and they weren't hooked on phonics. They struggled with sin, and they were doing wrong things, and God met with them. We use the phrase, God a hold of them possibly and save their soul and they live for him forevermore. That is a very obvious picture of salvation in the Bible but we see conversion also shown in other ways. Based upon this person I've been talking about Peter, when would you tell me that he was converted? Was he converted when he started following Jesus? Was he converted when he said Jesus was the Messiah? Or, or was he converted when he said that he believed that Jesus was Lord? Was he converted when he showed up and lived this changed life? It wasn't a point for him. It was a process. And over the course of this, God revealed more and more of who he was so that Peter could receive more and more of who Jesus was. And he trusts in him. And all of us, we hear that. What we have to know is, for every one of us, knowing when you believed in Jesus, that's helpful. But knowing that you believed is crucial. It's crucial. It's critical. It is of utmost importance. So every one of us in this room can take something from this fantastic passage. Some of you have never been trusted, you have never trusted in Jesus. And I echo the words of Peter, who echoes the words of Jesus when Jesus talked to Nicodemus. You need to be born again. That's what the Bible teaches us. You need to be born from hopeless to hope. Some of us have never trusted Jesus, and we need to be born again. Some of you are like Peter. You have run into a dead end of sorts when it comes to your faith. And you need to hear that Jesus provides a living hope in the face of that. Some of us are struggling with trials and tribulations even now. And you need to believe that Jesus and his inheritance, that he loves you like he loves Jesus, is sure and secure. That we have a hope that has been offered us, and that hope is a person. And that person died in our place. And in his death, he declared through his resurrection that we can be with him forever. This is the message of the gospel of Jesus. It's the message of hope for us that the scriptures take us to over and over. So I want you to do this for me this morning. Bow your heads just right where you are. A couple things while you're there. I need you to know that our elders pray for our body weekly. They pray for the people who come together in this room weekly. We think through who's here. We think through why they're here. And we're going to pray over you on Tuesday morning. If you're here and you've never trusted in Christ, I will say to you simply what Jesus says and what Peter says echoing him. You must be born again. You need to be born from hopelessness to hopefulness. To move from death to a living hope. And I would invite you to even pr pray something to this effect. Prayers don't save people. Jesus does. I just want to give you some handles. Jesus, I need you. I need you to save me. Because I can't do anything about my sin.
So Jesus, I'm going to give you my sin. And I want to place my faith in you. I want to trust in you and I want to cross that faith line. If that's you and you prayed something like that or something to that effect, do me a huge favor. And just so I can know, I'm the only one looking. I'm the only one that has permission to. Could you just put your hand up? Jesus, I need you. I prayed that today. I prayed that today. Yeah. If you prayed that, I love it. I love it. And and what we learn is that you trusted in Jesus who saves us from sin. If that was you, when you turn in your Connect card today, just put it in the offering box outside. We'll follow up with you. Check on there. I want to know about following Jesus. We'll touch base with you this week. Secondly, I think that there are some of you here and and you are very much like Peter post-death pre-resurrection of Jesus. Your faith has come to a standstill, to a dead end, to this hopeless place. And God has maybe used whispers from his word this morning to say to you, it's not over. It's not over. Just so I can understand you and you can understand me, if you, that's where you are spiritually. Could you just kind of put your hand up right there? I was at a dead end. I don't want to be at a dead end. Awesome. Awesome. When you turn in your connect card, just make a note on there for me. You can put to Chad. I'll know who I am. And we'll read it and we'll pray for you. I want you to know we love you and we'll follow up with you. I am more than certain that in this room that all of us in some way, shape, or form are going through trials and tribulations. And I want to assure you yet again that the hope that Jesus offers you is powerful. It's incredible. It is unending. It is unyielding. It is magnificent. Where Jesus would say to you through Peter, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are guarded by God's power through faith for salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now, for a short time if necessary, you suffer grief and various trials. So that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of our Lord Jesus. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you not... Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him. And you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I'll be in the back right-hand corner of the room if you need me.